judge these floats. This is gonna be fun. Here they come. First prize. I could have made a better horse. Oh my, Greg. Wrong colors. Wrong colors. This is sad. It's a rocket! A rocket! Why didn't I build a float? I would have put a plaid shirt on that cowboy. Davy, you are being very judgmental. Yes, I am. And I have every right to be. Well, I have to say, that's my favorite one so far. Well, Davey was taking his job seriously, wasn't he? Listen, now, let me mention something quickly before we dive into the message. We've been telling you about this for the past couple of weeks. But uh, coming up on Sunday, June the 7th, we are moving from five gatherings back to four gatherings for the summer months. And here's how it's going to work. Uh, we're going to take our two evening gatherings, which are happening right now at 4.30 and 6.00. And we're going to combine them for June and July into one gathering that's going to happen at 5 o'clock. All right, so if you can help us spread the word, that would be awesome. If you plan on coming to church in the evenings at all this summer, make sure you show up at 5 or you're going to miss it. All right, and we'll keep you posted as, uh, as we move through the summer on our plans uh, as we head on into the fall. All right, well, listen, let's grab our Bibles or if you have a version app ready to go on a device you can turn your Bibles on, and I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're in week 6 today of a series called Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe, which means we're almost done. But we only have one more message left in this series. It'll happen next week, so make sure you're back for that. But I also want to encourage you, look, if you've missed any of the messages along the way, man, go online to crosspointcity.com and either watch or listen to the messages you've missed. I would even say that you owe it to yourself to do so. So far, we've talked about why it's dumb to believe that you should always follow your heart, that God has a detailed blueprint for your life. We've talked about why it's dumb to believe that all dead people go to a better place, uh, that a valley in life means a wrong turn. And then last Sunday, we talked about why it's dumb to believe that everything happens for a reason. Now, not only have we talked about why these things are, are dumb to believe, but we've also talked about the smart thing to believe. And we've done that by looking at what's actually true from the Bible. And today we're just continuing that same pattern with yet another dumb belief that we're all familiar with. And I'll show it to you. Here it is. Christians shouldn't judge. How many of us in the room have heard this come off the lips of another person at some point? Right, and some of us, we've probably said it along the way. Here's the most common form of this that I hear and see today. People will say it like this. Uh, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? So strong. I mean, as awesome and strong as it sounds, here's the bad news. It's just not biblical. So if you're one of those people that went out and got the only God can judge me tattoo, look, we'll make you a deal, all right? Uh, let us know that you did that, and we'll buy you some of that tattoo removal cream and help you get it taken care of, all right? It's an unbiblical belief. Now, now I know there's probably somebody in the room thinking this. James, I'm not a preacher or a pastor, but I think you're wrong. 
Like, I probably don't know the Bible like a lot of people, but, but I do know that somewhere in the pages of, of this book that Jesus himself said, don't judge. Well, look, I, I want to say to you in love, if that's what you're thinking right now, look, you're kind of right, but you're still wrong. All right, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 7, let me show you the verse that people use to peddle this dumb belief. It's verse 1. Just look at it with me, if you will. Really simple verse. This is Jesus teaching, and he says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, before you, like, close the Bible up and walk away and say, See, James, I told you so, let me caution you against using this verse apart from the context in which we find it. And furthermore, let me caution all of us uh, against using this verse apart from the Bible as a whole. If you're taking notes, man, you can write this down. Anytime you use a verse out of context, it becomes a con. Anytime you use a verse out of context, it becomes a con. Context matters. Of course, you and I can can make it sound like Jesus was saying here in, in Matthew 7 that you and I should never judge if we use this verse apart from the rest of the Bible. And can we agree that's exactly what our culture has done today? I mean, today, those words from Jesus are often used to support what's known as the new tolerance. If you've been around a while, look, you know that that tolerance back in the day, it sounded something like this. Um, You and I, uh, we can disagree on what's true and what's not true. Absolute truth exists. And, And even though we might have our differences over that absolute truth, we can still grant each other the freedom to be wrong while debating and discussing on what's true and what's not in hopes of arriving at the truth together. The new tolerance, much different. See, tolerance today sounds like this. Uh, There is no absolute truth. Like our culture claims time and time again that the only absolute truth that exists is that there is no absolute truth. Kind of contradictory, don't you think? And look, as a result, everybody believes that everybody's right no matter what they believe and what they do. And, And if anybody disagrees with what somebody else believes or does, they're labeled as intolerant. And look, all you intolerant people out there, don't you remember what Jesus said? He said, don't judge. Now, can I tell you the problem with using Jesus as your support for this new way of tolerance? You ready for this? Don't miss it. Look, Jesus judged. You know that, right? Jesus himself judged. And if you have a hard time believing that that's true, I I would just encourage you to pick up this book and to read it for yourself. You'll find Jesus time and time again teaching that there are things that are absolutely true and things that are absolutely not true. You'll find Jesus teaching and claiming that there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live. You'll even find story after story of Jesus calling sin, sin, and then calling people away from sin and to a new and better way of life found in God and in him alone. I'll give you an example in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We talked about this story not long ago here at Crosspoint. We find some religious leaders of Jesus' day bringing to him a woman caught in adultery. And do you remember what Jesus said to this woman after he made her accusers look like fools? He said, I don't condemn you. That's beautiful, isn't it? But look, that's not where the story stops. He goes on to say, now go and sin no more. He didn't wink at her sin. He didn't ignore it. He said, you know what, if that kind of lifestyle works for you, who am I to judge? It's not what he said. He called sin, sin, and called her away from her sin. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know 
that in order for Jesus to make a call like that, he first had to judge. And so we know Jesus isn't a hypocrite, right? And if he's not a hypocrite, then we've got to make sense of, of Matthew 7, 1. Like, what in the world is Jesus really condemning there if he isn't condemning judging altogether? Well, the answer to that is simple. He's condemning a certain type of judging. Here's the easiest way to think about it, all right? In Matthew 7, 1, Jesus isn't teaching us as his followers to shy away from calling truth, truth, or to shy away from calling sin, sin. In fact, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to make judgment calls each and every day on sin and on truth. And, and if we refuse to do that, look, we're not following Jesus. We're disagreeing with Jesus. By refusing to call sin and truth what it is, we not only dishonor God, but we do a huge disservice to people who are stuck in sin and need the freedom that only truth brings. Here's what Jesus is condemning in Matthew 7, 1. He's condemning being judgmental. And can I just tell you, there's a huge difference between making judgment calls and being judgmental. Being judgmental means that you treat people with unnecessary harshness and anger. It means that you elevate yourself over others and that you treat people who don't live like you live, don't believe like you believe, as if they're less than you. Judging other people in a judgmental manner means that you become a person who, who declare other people as guilty before God, even though it's not your place to do so. And can I tell you what's so dangerous about judgmental people? They think that they're following Jesus when in reality they're sinning against him. They think they're doing Jesus a favor for standing up for all that they believe he stands for, when in reality they're treating people in a way that he condemns. And as a result, they spend their lives pushing people away from both Jesus and the church instead of doing what Jesus calls them to do, which is to simply love their neighbors as themselves. And so the big question we got to wrestle with today is this. How in the world, as followers of Christ, do we make judgment calls without becoming judgmental? Well, let me give you the smart thing to believe, and it's going to help us with the answers to that question, all right? If you're taking notes, write it down. Here it is. It's not that Christians shouldn't judge. Instead, it's that Christians should judge the right people and the right things in the right way. Now, we're going to make sense of this together by just taking it a portion at a time. So in order to judge correctly, in order to make judgment calls on sin and truth without being judgmental, the first thing we need to do is we need to judge the right people. Now, what do I mean by that? Judge the right people. Here's what I mean. I mean, as followers of Christ, we need to spend our time judging insiders, not outsiders. Can I just tell you the mistake that so many Christians make? It's this. They spend more time judging people out there than they do in here. And as they're judging people outside of the faith, they're using the same Christian moral standards, beliefs, that they should be holding other brothers and sisters in Christ to. They use it against people who don't even believe what we believe, which is insane. And a lot of times Christians will, will do this as their way of standing up for truth or defending righteousness. And I know that sounds noble to some of us, but look, it always results in more harm being done than good. And man, if you want a picture of it, just look out across the landscape of our country right now. We're seeing it everywhere we turn. 
I mean, we have Christians today uh, marching in rallies for religious freedom. We have Christians today who are picketing outside of courthouses in defense of the biblical view of marriage. We have Christians today who are standing outside of abortion clinics screaming at young mothers who find themselves in the most desperate, uh, fearful place they've ever been in their entire lives. We got Christians arguing about whether or not to bake cakes for people in same-sex relationships. And look at me, in my humble opinion as your pastor, I say this, I believe all it's doing is making the church look less and less appealing to people who are far from God and in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Which is why I've never asked our church to participate in that kind of stuff. Look, I have yet to find the passage of scripture in my Bible in which Jesus is holding his picket sign, yelling at lost people for not living godly lives. If it's in yours, you'll have to show me because I can't find it anywhere in mine. I'll never forget a conversation I had one night when I was still uh, the student pastor down at Westridge Church in Dallas. It was a warm spring night. We had a few hundred high schoolers showing up for high school worship service. And, uh, and several of the teenage girls, they were showing up in shorts that were a little too short and tops that were a little too revealing. And at one point, this college kid, he was pretty serious, hardcore about his faith. He comes up to me. And he says, uh, James, I want to know how you address these teenage girls showing up to church uh, in those kind of shorts and those kind of tops. And I looked at him and I said, I don't. Now, my answer completely caught him by surprise. But I went on to explain myself. Here's what I said. I said, look, man. I said, I have no idea if those girls know Jesus and so why in the world am I going to talk to them about their clothes before I talk to them about their hearts? This is the problem with so many churches and so many Christians today. We, we put the cart before the horse. We, we, we set out to address people's behavior before ever addressing their hearts. And we fail to remember that from cover to cover, this book teaches that all behavior flows from the heart. Can I just tell you what to expect from lost people? You ready? Expect them to live like lost people. People who don't know Jesus, expect them to live like they don't know Jesus. Expect them to line up with the culture on all the hot button issues. Expect them to live lives contrary to the word of God. Expect them to think the things that you believe are, are dumb and outdated. And if you'll hold outsiders to those kind of standards and expectations, it'll be a whole lot easier for you to love them instead of judging them in spite of all of your differences in belief and lifestyle. Look, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? I won't ever judge someone into God's kingdom, but I can love them there. Write that down. I won't ever judge someone into God's kingdom, but I can love them there. In Romans 2, verse 4, I love it. It's such a beautiful verse. It says that the kindness of God is what leads people to repentance. And if that's true, why as the children of God would we ever assume that we could convince people to come back to God using picket signs, bullhorns, and marches? You see, I, I'm a believer that it makes more sense to put those things down and to come alongside our lost friends, our lost family members, and to love them like Christ would love them so that we can eventually help them find their way back to the God who loves them and wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, here's the deal. I know somebody's probably thinking, maybe you're new to our church and this is what you're thinking. Sounds like you're soft on sin, bro. You're one of those kind of pastors, aren't you? James, you're saying we shouldn't stand up for the truth, man? It's not what I'm saying. 
Don't put words in my mouth, please, okay? I've already said it. We've got to make judgment calls every day. We've got to call sin what it is. We've got to call truth what it is. All I'm saying is that we cannot judge outsiders like they're insiders. And I want you to know, I'm not just making this up. The Bible says the same. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. Verses 9 through 13. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. What's well, a jacked up church back in the day, by the way. And he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, please don't shut your Bible and stop reading there, all right? But keep going. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Paul's going, I'm not saying don't associate with, with people out there who are living ungodly lives. I'm not telling you to not associate with the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Now, don't miss it. Look, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That's insider language. You don't associate with those people if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or, or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Here's all Paul's saying. That as you are as followers of Christ, your job and mine is to leave judgment when it comes to people outside the faith up to God. Our job is to spend our time making judgment calls on sin and truth as it concerns other people who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ, insiders of the faith, if you will. You see, if you're that follower of Christ that says, I don't want people up in my business, who are the people to tell me how to live my life? By signing up for Team Jesus, you signed up for the wrong team. As followers of Christ, we are called to be in each other's lives and in each other's business. We have been called to hold one another accountable to our shared Christian values and principles. That's what Paul's calling us to here. Look, have you ever wondered what the church might look like if we take that seriously? Think about this. Like, what if we quit obsessing so much over same-sex marriage and we just started holding each other accountable inside the church to godly marriages that spoke of God's presence and power in our lives? But what if we stopped worrying so much about defending our religious rights? I'll just say this. Um, the Jesus I read about in Matthew 5 through 7 says that when we follow him, we give up our rights. You get that right? Different message for a different day. What if we quit worrying so much about defending our rights and we just held each other accountable to like not looking at porn and, and to not sleeping with people we're not married to? What if as followers of Christ, we quit worrying so much about taking stands and, and marching in all the rallies, and we worried more about holding each other accountable to working hard, to pursuing holiness, to practicing generosity, to caring for the poor, the widowed, and the orphan? I'll tell you what I believe would happen. Like, I am deeply convinced that if we would take the words of Paul seriously, and we would spend the majority of our time making judgment calls on sin and truth inside the church while loving outsiders like Jesus loved outsiders, that the landscape of the church, Big C Church, would change and we'd have much more influence as followers of Christ in this post-Christian nation. Next, if we're going to judge correctly, 
If we're going to make judgment calls without being judgmental, not only do we need to judge the right people, but we need to judge the right things. Now, what do I mean by the right things? Here it is. I mean that we have to judge only by what God has clearly spoken on. Have you ever noticed how Christians rarely ever argue or fight about the black and white issues? And the reason's simple, right? They're black and white issues. There's not really much to argue about. But dang, aren't we good at arguing about the the unclear, secondary, uh, obscure stuff as it relates to our faith? Aren't we good at like attacking each other over the stuff from the scriptures that, that God really hasn't been that clear on? That maybe we have freedom in? I'll give you a picture of this so you know what I mean, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this. This is Paul again writing to the church at Corinth. Your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and they should be treated as such. Now look, when Paul penned that verse back in his day, he wrote it to prohibit the Corinthian Christians from sleeping, having sex with temple prostitutes. Now, I don't think any of us are really struggling too much these days with sleeping with temple prostitutes, right? I mean, I haven't really seen many around lately. But because that verse contains such a strong biblical principle, it's up to us to figure out how to best apply it to our lives today. So some people might take a verse like that and and they might say, you know, for me, uh, that verse means never drinking alcohol and even avoiding the occasional cigar. For others, it might mean, hey, you know what, body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, I want to take care of it. I'm going to eat clean 24-7, be in the gym six days a week. I've even heard people use that verse to say this, well, my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, no tattoos, no piercings for me. While others have said, you know, my tattoos and piercings are just my way of decorating my temple, right? (laughs) And and I think our church falls into the latter conversation. (laughs) That's why I love our church, man. It's a beautiful thing. Look, here's the point. Here's the point. Look, when it comes to a verse like that, there is room for differing applications, And when you miss that truth, you can easily become that person who uses a very obscure verse like that to judge people because they don't apply it to their lives in the same way you apply it to your life, even though God hasn't clearly spoken on how it should be applied. Are you with me? And when you become guilty of that, man, you you are guilty of a couple of big things. One, adding to the word of God. You're guilty of legalism. And as a result, you become nothing more than a modern-day Pharisee, a religious zealot who cares most about the things God could care less about and least about the things God cares most about. And can I just tell you, God takes it very seriously when we do that. Look at Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 with me. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, look at the last part. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you. That's painful. And you be found a liar. Like, I don't know about you. I don't want to be rebuked by God. I don't want God to call me out as a liar because I'm, I'm saying things that he never said. Here's the beautiful news. We can avoid that. All we've got to do is not judge people by things that God hasn't clearly spoken on. Now, before we move on, let me say something, okay? I want you to know I am a fan of personal legalisms. And I'll tell you what I mean, all right? Uh, maybe you're that person who grew up in a family of alcoholics or you have an addictive type of personality, like I, I think it'd probably be wise for you to impose a personal legalism upon yourself and to avoid alcohol altogether. Probably a smart thing. Um, if you're somebody in the room who has struggled with pornography throughout your life, 
probably smart for you to impose a personal legalism upon yourself and to avoid any movies that might contain nudity. Uh, I would say if you're that person in the room that struggles with money, always have, you're in debt up to your ears, it's probably smart for you to impose a personal legalism upon yourself and to stay away from the fantasy leagues that require you to just kind of give money for buy-ins. You know what I'm talking about? You with me? But look at me. Here's what you can't do. You can't turn into that person who starts imposing your personal legalisms onto other people. When you do that, you move from making judgment calls to being judgmental. The last thing, if we're going to judge correctly, if we're going to make judgment calls without being judgmental, again, we have to judge the right people and the right things. We have to do it in the right way. And Jesus points us to the right way in Matthew 7. So if you're still there, look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Jesus again says, judge not that you be not judged. And then he goes on. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the first thing Jesus tells us is this. That in order to judge in the right way, we should judge as we want to be judged. Here's the question for you, all right? When you think about that day when your life is over and you stand before the God of the universe, man, how do you want God to judge you? Now here's the next question. Does the way that you judge other people match up with the way that you want God to judge you? You see, that's an important question because what Jesus just taught in those first two verses is this. However you judge other people, that's how God's gonna judge you one day. If you judge other people harshly and angrily, well, you can count on God one day judging you harshly and angrily. If you judged other people graciously and lovingly, then count on God judging you graciously and lovingly. I truly believe that should give some of us in the room great pause especially those of us that are always on the attack, on the prowl, right? Ready to just jump on someone for, for what they're getting wrong in life. I also believe that this truth from Jesus should remind all of us how serious of a thing it is to make a judgment call on sin and truth and how much care and caution we need to take when doing so. Keep reading with me. Verse 3. Jesus goes on. He says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So part two of judging in the right way means this. It means that you and I, we need to judge ourselves before judging others. But when I read these verses, the language that Jesus, is, Jesus uses about the speck and the log, it reminds me how easy it is for you and I to minimize our sin at times while maximizing the sins of other people. Like moment of honesty. And you ever view other people's sins as the log and your sin as more of the speck? Here's how it typically sounds in our minds when we're doing that. Uh, you know, I, I know I look at porn every once in a while, but at least I'm not like my buddy. He's sleeping around on his wife. I know I don't respect my husband like I should, but at least we're not the couple down the street getting a divorce. Uh, I know I gossip a lot, but at least I'm not like my friends and my family members who struggle with addictions. Isn't it crazy how we'll compare our sin to other people's sin to make ourselves believe that our sin isn't really that big of a deal? Can I tell you what's so dangerous about that? As long as you think that your sin is not a big deal, instead of dealing with your sin, you'll spend all your time judging other people for theirs. And that's what Jesus is condemning in this passage 
Again, I love the language Jesus is telling you and me in this passage. Our sin is the log. In other words, your sin is a bigger deal than you think it is. And Jesus' instruction is simple. Before you go worrying about anybody else's sin, worry about your own sin. Judge yourself before judging anybody else. Now look at me. I want you to understand Jesus is not teaching here that we have to be perfect before making judgment calls on sin and truth. All he's teaching is this, that if you have a closet full of sin that you have not dealt with, or if there's a particular sin in your life that has you by the throat, it would be in your best interest to keep your mouth shut and to deal with your own sin instead of publicly pointing out the sins of other people. This past week I read a news story of a pastor in Michigan. Maybe you saw it. This guy, he spent just so much time of his ministry uh, going on the attack when it comes to the LGBT community. Just harsh when it comes to same, the same-sex marriage conversation. Here's what's crazy. While this pastor is out in the public eye making all these harsh cases against people, behind the scenes, he's soliciting men for sex online. Not unreal. This is what Jesus is teaching against. You have sin in your life. And before you start worrying about other people's specs, deal with your log first. Judge yourself before judging others. Now, the last thing, final thing, important thing that I want to talk about before we close is this. When it comes to making judgment calls, I want you to understand it should never be done in a condemning manner. The purpose of making judgment calls is this, to restore people back to God and his way of life. And if you want biblical evidence of what I'm telling you, go read Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 sometime this week. But one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 1.14. It's this beautiful verse that, that talks about the incarnation of Jesus. It says that when Christ came to the earth, wrapped in flesh, he came here to reveal to us the glory of God the Father. And when he showed up, he showed up full of both grace and truth. Some of you, you've heard me teach this before. You're going to have to listen to me teach it again. Listen. A lot of us in the room, I would say most of us, we probably have a bent or a lean when it comes to these two qualities, don't we? Most of us, we tend to either be grace people or truth people. And here's how you know the difference. Uh, grace people, they're kind, they're loving, they're always giving hugs. You know, their mantra is can't we all just get along? Grace people can't bear the thought of hurting someone else's feelings. Grace people, they're always putting people first. Now, truth people are different. Truth people, they put the truth first. If, if there's a choice between being honest and being nice, they will be honest every time. Truth people don't care about whose feelings are about to hurt. Like truth people, we love you, but sometimes we want to punch you, all right? <laughs> when it comes to Jesus, the Bible in John 1.14 tells us Jesus didn't have a bent. He didn't have a lean. He was full of both grace and truth. He was loving, he was compassionate, he was caring, and he was kind. And that gave him the great ability to build relationships from, with people from all walks of life, including those very far from God. But at the same time, Jesus was honest. He told the truth. He called truth what it was. He called sin what it was. He called people away from sin and into a different way of life. But what I love about Jesus is this. Even when he delivered the truth, he did it in a grace-filled way. Like when people far from God listened to Jesus speak truth, they knew that he was sharing what he was sharing, not for their condemnation, but for their restoration. 
And as followers of Jesus, our job is the same. Uh, this past week in a book I'm reading called Soul Keeping by a pastor named John Ortberg. And this is a book you need to read, by the way. Write it down, make a note, go on Amazon, buy it, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. We'll, uh, we'll get it on Facebook this week so you have the link. But in this book, I came across a quote from a guy named Dallas Willard. And Dallas said this. He said, one of the hardest things in the world is to be right and to not hurt people with it. Isn't that good? One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and to not hurt people with it. Yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ has called us to do as his followers. He's called us to declare what's true and what's not. He's declared to us that, that we need to call sin, sin. And we need to call people away from it and to God the Father. But in the process, we shouldn't hurt people along the way. Now, I know that's tough for some of us, but here's the great news. Because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, we have everything we need to pull it off. And so as we close today, man, we're just going to go to God in prayer. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the help we need to judge the right people and the right things in the right way. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's there, the truth that shapes us, that changes us, that sets us free. And God, I'm just praying that the truth we heard today would, would do those things in our lives, God. I'm just so reminded of, of John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which Jesus said he came to this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God, would you help us to believe that as your children, our job isn't to condemn the world. Our job is to run into this broken, dark world with your light and to help people see clearly enough to find their way back to you. So God, we need your help. We need your wisdom. God, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us up day by day. God, we need to know when to speak. We need to know when to keep our mouths shut. We need to know when to address the issues in the lives of, of people that claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we need wisdom on how to love those people that don't yet know you. God, this is such a, a messy conversation, a, a messy way of living. God, would you help us to embrace the mess of it all? God, we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to love like him. We want to speak like him. We want to serve like him. And ultimately, we want to point people back to who he is. And so, God, again, we're just begging you through the power of your spirit that lives inside of us. God, give us everything we need to make judgment calls without being judgmental, to judge the right people and the right things in the right way. God, would you just continue to transform us and to change us, God, long after we leave this place. We love you and we thank you for your great love for us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.